Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. My friends at Future Primitive, in the midst of uh, juniper allergies and a glorious first few hours of spring, I'm on the phone with a great friend of Future Primitive and Joanna Harcourt-Smith, if I might say. His name is Richard Doyle. And he earned his PhD in rhetoric at UC Berkeley. He was a Mellon postdoctoral fellow in history and social sciences of the life sciences at MIT in 1993. Professor of Rhetoric Doyle holds appointments in English, science, technology, and society and the College of Information Science and Technology at Penn State University. So, our friend Richard Doyle, this is our third conversation on Future Primitive, and uh, I hope our listeners won't mind that you said we could mutually ask each other questions. So, welcome, Richard, and you said you have a question. Thank you. Yes, in fact, uh, I just used the uh, mutual questioning of the cover in order to ask you questions. But uh, it, I'm sure there will be some uh, to and fro. Um, well, what I wanted to ask you questions about, if it's okay, is your book manuscript, Tripping the Bardo. Oh, yeah, absolutely okay. Book of which, to which you so kindly wrote an introduction which then prompted me to rewrite an intro and a postscript. The book is now being widely shopped around to publishers in both the UK and the United States. Great. So, yeah, since I read the book, you know, I wanted to be able to ask you a few questions because um, there are so many ways in which your itinerary, I think, is going to resonate with people uh, who are listening to Future Primitive, that I, I wanted to um, start really uh, at the beginning, or at least uh, a little bit at the beginning, where you said uh, that when you, it was when you read Huxley, I believe, I'm paraphrasing, out of Huxley, that you came across this idea that here was a man who could perhaps answer some of your questions about God. That's right. And what I think is so interesting is to ask somebody what it is their own personal history of God is. Yay! (laughs) Okay. Oh, it's a love story. Um, And it's so wonderful to be able to uh, be asked that question when uh, being born in 1946, I'm whatever age I am, meaning I've been traveling for a while through this life. And uh, it's a love story in as much as 
for the first 38 years of my life, I, um, I, I, I couldn't understand from my own personal experience and what I had been taught in Catholicism. I, I just couldn't understand why the idea of God was coupled with so much suffering, personal and intellectual. So then, when I was 38, I started to read some Sufi philosophy, and uh, the idea of God as the lover really, really got through to me. And then... Magically, somebody asked me the question because I was, as they say in Spanish, hecha polvo, which means I was just, I was just throwaway powder at that point, throwaway powder of suffering. I, somebody asked me the question, why have you no compassion for God? And that was the question that penetrated me f- fundamentally. I got that, you know, I can't hurt that lover in that way by destroying the beautiful creation that uh, had been, that had come together as this human being. And so I don't want to go on too long. I just want to say, and from then on, started this amazing lucid love affair that has been going on for 30 years. And uh, and it's just about learning to love everything as, as creation, as creation within creation within creation, every detail that creates a story that creates another detail. I could go on, but I think, uh, I think you well, see... What, was that, you know, so often when we explore consciousness and we explore plants and we, we, we explore practices that are devoted to the dislodging of our ordinary experience, mm-hmm. in the sort of iPhone moment, you know, this techno-science moment, we forget sometimes what the kernel of this quest is really about, and that to see that, you know, this is in fact how you met Timothy Leary, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. That there's a kind of clear hand that the lover, as Rumi calls, the the beloved, as Rumi calls her, um, was guiding you even then, and uh, that this is a kind of fantastic adventure to be on, and one way to share the adventure is to actually go as slowly as possible with it when you're sharing it with others. So, for example, could you maybe um, slow down a little bit and ask about what did that feel like when, as you said, um, this question about you having compa- why you could, did not have any compassion for God, you said that the question if you'll forgive me, penetrated you. Beautiful. Can you, can you kind of tarry with that and say, like, 
we know what it feels like to hear and understand a question and feel that that question is profound. But there is something beyond language there that occurs. Is there any recollection that you have of how it felt to be asked that question in that way? You know, I get to say to you what people so graciously say to me, great question. (laughs) I'm so glad to be able to return that to someone. Oh, definitely. I mean, it took an enormous sensation of grief that just penetrated, finally penetrated through the armor that I had built against feeling my own suffering. So at that moment, perhaps, or in the moments that followed, and I want to say this as opposed to the Big Bang because it's a personal Big Bang. I I, I don't like the idea of the Big Bang because I don't like the idea of uh, it evokes in me a, a penis's orgasm, you know. On on the contrary, it 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 was like this amazing thawing where real grief had expression for the first time. And grief that doesn't contain uh, victim excuses is is just, just contains poignancy and the joy of liberation from, from this, 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 um, this armature, this, this, you know, this, how do you say in English? Uh, because I'm very moved. I can't find the word in English. You know, armor, uh, yeah. grief, real grief, not not self pity, happened, mm-hmm. and and then the liberation of. Oh well, the the for lack of words, because as you say, it's way beyond language, but the uh, the. The cosmos, I'm a, prod, I'm a loving product of the cosmos that loves me. I belong. I belong. And now we'll cry for two years about not believing that I belonged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's beautiful because do you see why we're having this conversation today on uh, the equinox? Because... You said it was this beautiful thawing. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and one can feel this, you know, if we'll allow ourselves to get a little bit still, just as, you know, I was asking you to in the question, to, like, when spring starts to come on and we get still enough, <sighs> we feel what the Greeks call fuzzes, you know. Yeah. It's all just coming and it's it's as much grief as you say, right? Yes. As this birth. We're used to talking about it as birth, but it's actually grief as well because something else has died. The winter has died. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the old Joanna is gone, right, at that moment from this question. Uh-huh. And it really teaches us something that, you know, I think is really part of what I find so fundamentally valuable about your manuscript, about your book, 
it's, it's about the question, right? That so often if somebody asks somebody else a question about, well, what, you know, what's your history with God, you know, is that it's always a kind of story of obedience or disobedience or belief or lack of belief. Whereas what I saw you doing and what I saw Tim doing in a different way was really asking the question. Staying with the question, letting the question tear you open. Yeah. And we can do that at any moment. That's what's so beautiful, if we'll actually talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. And, and hear that a very real question is being asked, that it's right there. That it's as powerful as LSD, if not more. It's yeah. just, you know, that, that LSD is maybe a useful help uh, in the right conditions when we have this armor. Yeah, yeah. But, but that once we begin listening to questions, the armor is going to fall away. It may take 30 years, it may take 40 years, it may take, you know, multiple lifetimes, as some traditions would put it. But if we will respect the question, you know, we will, we will be unfolded. Oh, that's beautiful. We will be unfolded. And when you were speaking, I I was thinking of at the time, uh, Bette Midler was in a film called The Rose, and yes. she was this she was playing this rock star that might uh, might have been uh, Janis Joplin, right. and uh, she had had sex with the whole i mean i'm really minimizing it she had had sex with the whole uh football team right. and um and you know I, i'm very honest in my book that that's how i felt and so back to your spring theme there's this beautiful song called the rose that i would listen to non-stop before the the moment of the tiniest blooming in me of of kinship with God, and it was the song, the rose, and which says, and underneath the snow, the ro- the the seed is there, the rose is there, ready to come out, and so yes. that's that's what you reminded me of, that the seed. The seed of the love affair with everything yes. is there under the snow, and we can we can see and have compassion for this uh, almost glorious attempt to have sex with the entire football team, right? <laughs> what is driving it, right? <laughs> what is driving it is this desire to love everything, right? And and not knowing that one is already that. Right? Absolutely. But, but, connection, connection. Yeah. Yes. So um, so this is beautiful that this is happening uh, on spring. What, what it brings to mind uh, that I think you'll find resonant for, and the future primitive will find resonant, is that um, apparently the first time, uh, I'll probably be correct on this, it doesn't matter. First time the rites of spring uh, by... Um, Stravinsky mm-hmm. was performed. There was a riot, and it's of course about you know the, the dancers are meant to stomp their feet on the ground, 
and to wake up those seeds, that potential, you know, that is there in the earth, and say, okay, well, there was a riot. It's avant-garde art, of course. Right? It's not doing its job if it doesn't do that. Apparently, the second time it was performed, there was an earthquake. I don't remember where, but you know, and I think it was somewhere that was seismically active. But I happened uh, to have a lover who was a ballet dancer in the. 80s, and I got a phone call from her then, and she was performing Righteous Springs, and she said, oh my God, she said, there was an earthquake again when we performed the Righteous Spring, and I said, oh, well, you know, that's unfortunate, where were you, Mexico City? She said, no, we were in Iowa. Wow. So, I think that the least little activity, if we, you know, will channel, you know, the great muses of the past, that we can, you know, break through this armor in very specific ways if we're willing to, uh, you know, go on the adventure, as you do in your book. You know, so I wanted to ask a, a question about um, the, the, the pain or the, the experience, both painful and probably liberating, of, you know, telling the full Monty of the truth here. Because that's the other aspect of it that I admire the most, that you're telling your truth in the book, um, which I know is distinct from the truth and has to be. But you go all the way and are unsparing with yourself in the book. And I wondered how that felt to write. Well, Richard, I wrote this over 20 years. I mean, over... 30 years, and uh, I started writing it uh, after Timothy and I went our separate ways, after we went together to a uh, Star Trek conference, and it's at the Star Trek conference that uh, we decided to, um, we decided to uh, choose different paths. Um, I can tell you that um, the first time I started to try to write this story, I mean, this is my metaphor, I wrote down there was some woman somewhere in some town because it was just so, it was just so difficult for me to speak about penetrating myself. And then it's been a process of inner penetration for me so that I I could see more deeply, more deeply, you know, just uh, strata, like like strata, like different, different uh, going down deep into the earth where where the real fire is and the real fire that uh, that melted this ice that I was. And the more I could remember details, the more I, uh, I became thawed. And, and also there's a, there's a political aspect to this is that I had been absolutely terrified like a terror that that 
um, I could never even imagine coming from where I came from, from uh, from a life of a of an upper class girl in Paris. You know, a, a, a terror from the way the government agents treated us and yeah. treated him. The kind of tra- terror that would guarantee that. I would not speak about what happened, you see. And so there was entering inside this terror and little by little getting to the to the strata where I said, it's my responsibility to write this down, to write down that this happened, that this can happen, as you pointed out so well in the introduction, in the war on drugs during the war on drugs? Well, that's why uh, the original title I was going to give to that forward was just the quotation from this letter that you reproduced from Timothy, which where he just says, what we went through, and I believe that there are eight exclamation points there. And I think, <laughs> sorry, just as we... Um, you know, it's important for us to go slowly and sort of let ourselves feel the question. I think that so often when we're dealing with the war on drugs and the history of that period, we deal with it in a cognitive way. We act like something rational is going on or something irrational is going on. Mm-hmm. And we don't really feel just what it was. And that I think um, part of the healing that can happen as a result of you writing this book and uh, other people having real dialogue about what this period of history has been about is that, you know, we can, fe- we can feel just the grief of all of it without even pointing fingers. That, that was why I appreciated the sort of level of truth that you were, you were spelunking in there, to use your you know, metaphor. You were going down through the strata, all the way down. And, you know, it's easy enough to say, oh, you know, it was about a clash between the counterculture and the national security state, and the national security state responded with crushing force. And so the 60s didn't fail so much that they were crushed. And I think that there's a great deal of truth in that description. I think that level of truth comes through in your book. But I think there's also something almost more primate about it, that we did not know what we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) And there there was a struggle. (laughs) And primates do what primates do, apparently. Mm-hmm. Which, which is mark out territory, which does not mean that everyone is forgiven automatically. And, you know, it just means that in order to really have a conversation, we need to allow the past to be as strange and difficult as it was. And you really do that in the book. I mean, it's just the, the, the difficulty and the, the grief, not just the absurdity, because that comes through. But the way in which, for the participants, it felt like total madness, it seems like, on all sides. Well, so, 
Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, no, that's all. Well, you see, what you, uh, what, what, the thoughts that you liberate in me are that one of the most precious things that we humans have is when, I mean, in the same way as when we can, we can feel real joy, when we can touch on real grief, then we can feel tenderness and poignancy, and we can feel tenderness for ourselves. And I think there are a lot of people in my generation who have just um, swept their, um, their, their bafflement, their absolute bafflement, uh, under the table, and that if there is a possibility that my grief that I describe uh, can can spurt in other people that 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 very same feeling, then maybe 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 one person that reads the book could could love themselves a little bit more. This is going to sound like a strange segue, but have you seen George W. Bush's paintings? No. What an interesting uh, thought. It's on the same line because, you know, when I um, was graced enough to study uh, a little bit of ayahuasca shamanism uh, with my teacher, Norma Pandoro, yes. One of the assignments that I was given was that I needed to love George W. Bush. Yep. And this was the most insane assignment I have ever received, you know, and I balked at it, but it was my assignment. And mm -hmm. I had to, and it was, of course, mostly unconscious work that I had to do. But um, I engaged it, and I, and I did it, in fact. Like, as you said at the beginning of our conversation, to love everything. And everyone. Mm -hmm. And when I recently saw these paintings, it was just so moving to me. I can't explain. They're they're kind of um, they're paintings that could have been done by somebody who read the work of Douglas Harding. Do you know his work? No, I don't. He was he is a Vedanta teacher who realized when he was walking in the Himalayas once and uh, that he had no head. <gasps> That he was just a field of awareness, that he was Shiva, and that if he turned his awareness back and looked at himself, he saw that what he was, a, he was was a field of awareness, of pure, choiceless awareness. And so he would teach this method of uh, be, learning how to direct your perceptual and cognitive faculties back at one's own consciousness. And if you look at these paintings by Bush, it's as if he is this field of awareness and that we have mis misrecognized him. You see who we recognize as W in the mirror. He's in the shower. Mm -hmm. But the angle is impossible. It can't possibly be reflecting who W is in the shower. Now, we could say, well, he's a poor painter. But in fact, I think there's something more profound there. And that uh, if, if we're not able to love even, you know, our oppressors, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
you know, as Sheila thinks in the book, you know, when you're writing about the DEA, you know, if then then we then we're not grieving, right? We're not we're not not able to let go of it. But you see, that's it. With the, uh, you show me, uh, I remember when you say this about George W. Bush, um, the most poignant thing that I know is this, 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 this fumbling little pieces of humanity, which are tenderness itself you know uh i re- uh, you know i love the work of oliver stone and i really liked his movie about w to to talk um, say, i did not see it yeah I yeah watch it. i mean I it's, love oliver stone. Yeah. it's these little silly things about about being human that yeah. that actually give me the greatest joy i mean the to uh, to say this you know the little flower that grows out of the pavement mm-hmm. that that is st- going back to god if i if i were to worship anything it's that little flower that comes right out of the cement yes so so for example you know the etymology of allergies which you're suffering from now i'm sorry to say <laughs> You probably know, in Greek, it means alos ergon, the work of the other. Oh. And so we have to worship these flowers that are making us sick. (laughs) Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. uh, I think we're we're contributing to spring. I think uh, the fall is beginning. I think uh, we have... Stopped on the ground a little bit, and uh, Demeter and Persephone are going to do their things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope we can talk again soon. I have to go pick up my lovely flower, Violet, my daughter. Yes. Um, yes. But I really hope we can talk again soon. I have so many more questions to ask you about the manuscript. And I love it. And I, I, I would like to say just before um, you. Uh, you get up and go and get this person that belongs so much with you and you with her, that our belonging is so deep, our belonging with everything, everyone, the sky, the, the, the stars, our belonging is so deep that um, I really believe that uh, happiness is in this vast and minuscule sense of belonging. Oh, yes. Where would the separation be if there was any? Um, Simply in uh, you and I saying goodbye right now and picking up again very soon. Perfect. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. I love you. Love you too. 